Thanks, Lynn. This morning, everyone. So great to be together as, uh, as family. And um, talking of being family, since I, I last spoke, um, Emma and I uh, have had a little baby boy, Zachary. And um, I just wanted to um, say a, a massive thank you uh, to, to all of you uh, for your uh, care and concern, your cards, your gifts, your meals, all the help we've had. There have been so, so many of you that have just really, really blessed us. We've felt uh, so loved um, as a family, as part of a bigger family, that um, it's been really quite moving. And so just wanted to say a, a massive thank you for that. Um, have had to uh, laugh at some of the things that have happened in the first six weeks of, uh, of Zach's life. Um, I came down one morning... Um, and in a sleep-deprived state, instead of making a cup of tea in my uh, clear glass mug, I managed to make it in a measuring jug. And so uh, that's one way of tipping gallons of tea down your throat. Literally, I could tell you how much I tipped down my throat. Um, but uh, there we go. Um, one of the other things that has happened, I'll let, I'll let you in on a, a little uh, guilty secret, is that we seem to somehow have got into some of these kind of property improvement programs. I'm not quite sure how it's happened, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, um, they're popular, aren't they? You know, you, you like it or list it, DIY, SOS, 60-minute maker. I can see some smiles around the room of others who join me in this. But we think that we have found the program to crown all programs in this area, which is called Your Home Made Perfect. Anyone seen it? Hands up if you've seen it. Few around the room. Some people don't want to put their hand up, you know, keeping that sort of guilty down. Um, but what, what happens on this is, if you haven't seen it, is uh, the, the contestants or, or victims, if you think of it like that, they, um, they usually are a, a couple who live in a house and they want to improve their house, but they can't agree on, on how they are going to spend the money that they've got available. And so what they do is they get these two architects, both to come and, and paint a picture of alternative realities about this house, and then they give them these, these goggles, these huge kind of goggles, which they, they stand in their house, and through the goggles, uh, these people see uh, the, the, these architects' plans kind of live in their house. So they literally stand and see how their lounge will be different for walls being taken down and windows inserted in and all this sort of thing. And uh, it's absolutely great. But um, it did get me thinking, not about improving my house, uh, but... Why are these programs so popular? Why are there so many smiles around the room as we, we talk about them? And um, do you know, there's, we can all get sucked in, can't we, to, to thinking that the way to fulfillment is a walk-in wardrobe or an island kitchen or reconfiguring the entire interior of our property. But there's something about the desire to feel at home in all of us, isn't there? And, and maybe that's to do with a, a particular house, as, as we've described, uh, but maybe it's to do with where you live. You know, there's various times in life, you think sort of student days or young professional days, where it's quite confusing where home actually is. Like, is it where I live, or, or is it where my parents are, or family are, or maybe you've mo moved to the, the UK from another nation, and, and trying to sort of establish, well, where is home? Maybe it's to do with a, a community. Perhaps you're part of a, 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 a social group somewhere, and you say, well, I'm sort of part of it, but don't quite feel at home there yet. Maybe even it's just to do with our planet. You know, as, as we wander around, maybe it's just trying to sort of find our place in the world. Well, every time our heart longs for the connection of home, there's something of God in that. Something of God in that. Now, don't get me wrong, the way to holiness is not a right move addiction. But it is just a recognition 
that when Jesus invites us to be in relationship with him, ultimately, he is inviting us home. That's why Jesus told the story, didn't he, about the wayward son who came home. He doesn't quite have the same punch if it's the wayward son who met his dad randomly out on a farm by chance. It's, it's he came home. And so today, as we pick up our, um, our series in the, the book of Exodus in the Bible, it's the second book in the Bible if you're, you're new to the Bible, so way back in history, we're looking at a passage where God asks his people to build him a home. Now, don't get me wrong, God is everywhere at all times. Where, where, wherever we go, we can know that he is with us. But what we're talking about here is a, a special place where he will dwell with his people in a particularly intense and particularly intimate way. And it's called the tabernacle. The tabernacle. Now, if you're into your gospel music, got any gospel fans? We've got a few, yeah. You'll no doubt have heard the word tabernacle for some of the kind of cool gospel choirs that are around. But for the rest of us, maybe it's quite a strange term that we've not met before. And it literally means dwelling place. And what they built to you and I would, would have just looked like a giant tent. And what we have to bear in mind is that in those days, uh, all of the people lived in tents. So it was like a home for them. And whereas ultimately it was God's home, it shows so much about our own desire for home because God invites us in. Now, there are just the 12 chapters in Exodus that talk about this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read them out and then invite the band up because I'll be in my time finished. <laughs> no, I'm just going to read the very, very start. So just the introduction, really. We won't be covering everything today, but I do believe that as we go through this, we will begin to answer this question where is my true home? So I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 25. It's going to come up on the screen, so if you've not got a Bible with you, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they may take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold and silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst." exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So you shall make it. And he did. And it looked a little bit like this. This is an artist's impression. And, and what I'm just going to do in the next few moments is, is in, introduce some concepts and some terms to us that we will come back to. So if some of the things uh, that get said, you know, I've never heard of that before in my life, don't worry, we will we'll come back to, uh, to, to most of that. And so you see, it's like a, a portable tent, um, as it were. This, this was something that, that, that could, be, could be moved. And it happened in three stages. So the first stage is that kind of courtyard that you can just see at the right hand of the picture. And anyone who's part of the people of God uh, could go into that. And if we flip on to the, the next thing, which just zooms in um, on the tent itself. So here, what, what you get, the, the first kind of two-thirds, just on the right-hand side of the picture there, that was called 
the holy place. The holy place. And in it, you can see that there's a, a table, which was called the table of the bread of the presence. There was a lamp called the golden lampstand. And there was an incense burner just up towards the second curtain there, called the altar of incense. And each of them have their own function and their own symbolic value. But just beyond that second curtain, in the left-hand side of the picture, was an area that was called the most holy place. The first one was the holy place. The latter part is the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And you can see something that looks a bit like a box in there, which was called the Ark of the Covenant. And that was the place on which the very glory of God dwelt. And only the high priest could go in there. And that, but once a year. Now, if you just draw back to the room and look around you a little bit, we're just going to paint a picture for you just to try and kind of imagine the reality a little bit more. So the three stages, beginning with the courtyard, that would be like the welcome area and that section down there up to those white room dividers and the Together Sunday banner, okay? So there'll be an altar of burnt offerings in there. It was about that sort of size. And then this place here, where we are, would be the holy place, that that middle section on the picture that's on the screen, the right-hand section. And this is where the priests would go. So all of us are the priests, and that's actually quite New Testament appropriate, but we'll move on from that. And and in here, there would be a table, roughly where I am. There would be a lamp stand over where the window is at the back there, and then there'd be this incense burner sort of somewhere in this block over here. But beyond that, where the the roof just drops down over to my right, your left, there would be a big curtain just hanging down. And behind that would be called the Most Holy Place. That's where the the Ark of the Covenant was. And I was going to say that uh, it's fine in this building because nothing's screened off. It turns out there are some screens over there. Behind there is not the Ark of the Covenant. It's just tables and chairs. And uh, Ben Thompson is the closest to it. He's a particularly holy man. And so, Ben, you're you're just almost there. But if you can just begin to imagine what it was like, there were different bits that you could go according to who you were or weren't. And if Ben Thompson was the, whole, was the high priest, he could go in. The rest of us would have to remain in here. But as you read these things, one of the things that you just can't get away from is that God cares about detail. This is, the, the instructions over these 12 chapters are incredibly detailed. And if God cares about the detail of his house to this extent, then we can know that he must care about the detail of our lives, his house at present, to the same extent. He knows the health challenges that you've had recently. He knows the financial worries that you're carrying. He knows that argument you had this week or or the guilt at that mistake you made. He knows that your kids have been screaming the last couple of days. He knows that your boss is a nightmare at the moment. He knows and he cares. But why is all this important? Why why are we looking at this today? Well, firstly, the, the tabernacle reminds us of our very first home. I don't know about you, but for me, I have quite special memories of my very first home. I remember uh, leaving there at the age of 14 and making a vow that I would return one day to buy that house. So special was it to me. Um, I don't know if Emma and I have talked about that yet, so probably should bring that up at some point. But 
I, I remember the back garden where I used to run around playing football, where I used to imagine that I was the super sub who would come on for Stoke City in their local derby, and I would hit lots of shots into the net. There was one particularly peachy shot that I hit, a volley, which just missed the bar. I caught it so sweetly, missed the bar, and went into the window, smashing the window all over my mother, who was doing the washing up behind the window. I remember the visitor's bedroom where my sister and I used to sneak in and watch EastEnders. Because we weren't allowed to, but we really wanted to. So we used to sneak in there and watch it. There's something special about where it all began. And the tabernacle reminds us of where it all began for the human race. Back in the Garden of Eden, our very first home the paradise that, that God had created and into which he put Adam and he put Eve, the first humans, he put them in the garden to enjoy it and in so doing, to enjoy him, to walk with him, to wake up with him, to work with him. It was the place where God dwelt with his people, just like the tabernacle. And there's all sorts of allusions in the, the architecture and, and the furnishings. So there was a thing that we referred to called the golden lampstand. It looked a little bit like this. It would have been in the holy place, so this middle section of the room. And what it was was a lamp that was hammered out of one giant block of gold. And it was designed to look just like a flowering tree. A tree that gave life, just like there was in Eden. The garden, the, the tree of life around which everything was centered. And in the tabernacle, this, this tree shaped lamp held seven individual lamps on its tips, as you can see there, one on each branch, and they were continually burning the light of their worlds, if you like. Gives IKEA a run for its money, doesn't it? The point is that when God invites us home, the light is on, and he is there waiting for us. There would have been another piece of furniture that was in the, uh, the most holy place, the bit down that end of the room, the, the, the sectioned off bit, which was called the Ark of the Covenant. And that would have looked a little bit like this. And what that was was a, a wooden chest that was overlaid with gold. And in it was the, the Ten Commandments, and Hebrews 9 tells us, Aaron's staff. Now, Aaron was Moses' assistant and brother. His staff was the thing that they used to kind of start the plagues off in Egypt and the thing that he used to, to part the Red Sea. It was a, a symbol of God's mighty power, if you like. That was in there, as well as some, uh, some manna, which was well, literally, it's, it's translated as, what is it? But it was like food-like substance that, that God sent down from heaven to provide for his people. And on the top there, there would have been a, a, a lid that you can see, which is called the mercy seat. And on it, the statues of two angels called cherubim, which would have been hammered out from the very same block of gold, incredibly intricate. And enthroned between those two angels was the very glory and presence of God. Pure, intense, powerful. You see, just like Eden, the holy God was there. And as we read out in verse 8, 
dwelling amongst his people. In fact, so holy is he, so powerful is his presence, that a mere man could not cope at seeing it and being before it. They would be overwhelmed to the point of death. And so this ark had to be put in the most holy place, that, that sectioned off bit down that end. And it was sectioned off by a curtain, which, which meant that no man except the high priest once a year could go into that place, and even that under very strict conditions. No man could ever see it or touch it. Now these angels, these cherubim, you, you get that when people are sarcastically describing children, don't you? Like, oh, they're little cherubs. They, um, they, they, they were embroidered in the curtain. So that big curtain that would have uh, hung down from where the ceiling drops there, that, that would have had these angels embroidered into it. And biblically, these angels are ones that, that guard the presence of God. And so the priests who operated in this middle bit, and also everyone else kind of out in the courtyard who was staring into the tabernacle in the daytime as the front curtains were opened, all they would ever see was this big curtain over here hanging down with these angels on it, and they would know that that meant you can't come in. We are guarding the presence of God. You have to stay outside. And that's the trouble with reminders of Eden, isn't it? That the last we'd heard in the story... Humanity had been kicked out. We decided to make our own decisions. We decided not to live according to how God had set. We were the, the masters of our own destiny. And so God had removed us. It separated us from this beautiful place of his presence and dwelling. You ever wondered why life seems so hard? Ever wondered why the world doesn't seem to work sometimes? Why, why the planet seems a bit broken? Why home seems so hard to achieve? I was pointed recently to a, a, an article about millennials, so those from roughly 1980 to 2000 and year of birth, going through what, what it described as a quarter-life crisis. And uh, this was uh, uh, the millennial kind of being in the place of thinking, I, I, at the age I am now, I thought I would have found my place by now. You know, I, I had a plan to have a particular type of job or a particular marital status or, or own a particular home, and now all I'm doing is just paying someone else's mortgage in my rent. It hasn't happened. It's just feelings of, of wandering around the planet without finding our place. Well, the tabernacle gives us the answer. All these things, because we've been dislodged from our true home, from knowing and dwelling with God. Now, thankfully, it doesn't end there. We're not going to get the band back up and get Rick to come and sing some songs of uh, lament, I suppose, over us. He's got plenty of those. He's a Brighton fan, so he's got a few of those. <laughs> But check, check this out in Genesis 3. This is exciting. This is just what I've um, uh, just been describing uh, as God removes us from the Garden of Eden. It says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, so that's those angels guarding the presence of God, 
and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life that we referred to. See, mankind was sent out to the east. And what direction do we find the tabernacle facing, inviting us back in? It's to the east. God wants us back. And how are we invited? Well, for these Israelites, there would be a high priest, one singular representative of all the people. And he would be washed clean and and put on what what the Bible talks of as, as holy garments, if you like. And he would wear the names of the people of God on his chest, precious gemstones, each ingrained with one of the different tribes of the people of God, Israel. Now, this wasn't some kind of cheap, like, uni hoodie thing. I, I, I got a university hoodie in my first year at uni, and uh, my surname is Potter. Within one week of having it, the P had fallen off, as I was Jonathan Otter for the whole rest of the fresh year. This isn't some kind of cheap thing. I, I asked someone in the church who, who knows about these things, and he said, when I, when I read the descriptions, it speaks of the utter preciousness. Each of these stones, perfectly unique, diverse, and all encased in gold filigree, which is tremendously expensive. It shows how much God values his people. And so this high priest, he he would go into the most holy place. He would go in behind the curtain, right in front of the Ark of of the Covenant, where the very glory of God dwelt. But he would take in with him some incense and some coals from the altar of incense, which would have been roughly over there in this block. You can add it to your list of things we haven't got time to talk about this morning. But essentially, what it would do would be it would give off a a, a lot of smoke that would fill the most holy place, that bit down the end of the room, fill it with smoke. It was meant to symbolize the presence of God. But it was meant to cover the glory of God so that even this high priest couldn't see it. And he would take in with him the blood of a a bull that he'd sacrificed and the blood of a goat that he'd sacrificed. And he would sprinkle it onto the lid of the ark itself called the mercy seat, the atonement cover. There's another name for it. And in so doing, he would make the people of God right with God. He would make them at one with God. Their sins would be forgiven and their sense of home would be restored. Trouble was, as Hebrews 10 puts it, that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins, the things that we've done wrong. We can always rely on our American cousins to provide some amusing entertainment for, uh, for preach fodder. And uh, so this week, I happened to find a story of a guy who got pulled over in, uh, in Minnesota and uh, rather than face the impending jail term that, uh, that came to him for the crime that he committed, he produced a monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card. And he tried to give it to this policeman to try and get him off this, this offense. It was an imitation of what is truly needed. Just like here. And so came the great high priest. Jesus Christ himself. 
And one of the accounts of Jesus' life called the Gospel of John, it, it puts it like this. It says that um, the, the word, that's Jesus, he became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That word dwelt, you can translate it more literally as he tabernacled amongst us. He came and faced every single temptation that we face. He knows the things that you struggle with. He knows the battles that you are fighting at the moment. He knows your areas of weakness. He knows the areas where you wish you were different. He has faced the temptation of all of it. He knows the feelings. And yet he was utterly without compromise, utterly without sin. And as our representative, by his death on the cross, he went into the very presence of God on our behalf with our names engraved on his heart. And he became in himself the very sacrifice that was needed to make us right with God. For our sins to be completely forgiven and for our sense of home to be restored. You know that verse in in John 1, it moves on to say that he tabernacled amongst us and we've seen his glory. You know, and and you're thinking, you can think, oh, that kind of moves on to something else. You know, the, the cross and the resurrection. The point is that the high priest could not see the glory of God. He needed the smoke. But in Jesus, we get to stand right before the presence of God, free, accepted, forgiven. That is what Jesus has won for us. So we don't need the tabernacle anymore, the earthly tabernacle. You may have noticed this building is not designed as a tabernacle. There is not an altar of burnt offerings of animals in the welcome area. Wouldn't be particularly welcoming. It'd be quite hard for radiant cleaners to clean up afterwards. He's done it for us. Forever, Jesus given us access to the Father, washed us clean, forever restored in himself our sense of home. But the tabernacle reminds us also of our final home. And depending on your stage of life, you may or may not have thought about your final home. Now, I used to be a wills and probate solicitor, and so I used to see lots of clients who, were, who had very definitely decided that they did not want their final home to be a care home, and they wanted to know what they could do about it. It's a little bit on, like our next door neighbor at the moment, who is very insistent. She is in her final home, and to use her, her words, I will never move out of here until they carry me out in a box. She is very insistent. It's probably why all these property programs are so popular, isn't it? You know, they're kind of, oh, I'll just retire to find a place in the sun. But as well as looking back, the tabernacle also looks forward to our final home with God forever in what we might call heaven or or what the Bible would call the new heaven and the new earth where, just like here in the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God is with man. And where there is a joining, just as happened in the Ark of the Covenant, that special piece of furniture that was sectioned off, a joining of heaven and earth. And Hebrews 8 tells us that this tabernacle was actually just a pattern of something far, far greater. How do we know? Well, the the, the section down that ends, the most holy place, It was constructed as a perfect cube. What else do we find in the Bible as a perfect cube? 
the new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God. Revelation 21, coming down out of heaven to be with us on earth forever. In the holy place, that's this middle section, there there would also be a, a table that was overlaid with gold called the table of the bread of the presence. It would look a little bit like this. And onto there, there would be uh, placed bread and wine, which was an indication of the great heavenly banquet that awaits us. There would have been the golden lampstand that we talked about before with the, the seven branches that is continually shining, just like the glory of God in the new creation. That's Revelation 22, where it says that no sun is needed. So light and beautiful is God himself. That's where we'll be. It's our final home. And do you know what? We're meant to live in light of that. I wonder if you've ever had that. I wonder if you've ever had a time in your life where you've been able to live in light of a future house move, a future home. Emma and I have got some friends at the moment who are um, uh, preparing to move to Sweden. They've, they felt God call them to uh, go and be part of a, a church plant out there. And so they have begun to sort all their stuff out and start to kind of learn some of the Swedish language and um, start to kind of grasp and live by some of the Swedish values. And they have adopted something called fika time. Fika time, which translates as coffee break. But this isn't an ordinary coffee break. This is a coffee break. Now, for starters, they add a pastry in, so instant improvement. But what happens is that everybody takes this fika time. It's it's more like lunch or dinner. Everyone gathers around together, and you have a social time, a break in the morning. It's less cup of tea in the kitchen and more sit down around a table together. They've started to live in light of the values and the reality that they will be moving to. You know, Philippians 3 says that our citizenship is in heaven. And from there, we await a savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his heavenly body. I wonder, how does that affect the way that you view this life? How does it affect what we value? How does it affect the way that we use our our money or our time? What decisions or priorities does it cause us to have? You know, because when when you're on the edge of a move to somewhere else, your values are very, very definite. Emma and I were watching a program with our daughter Lizzie the other week, uh, Topsy and Tim, and uh, they were were about to to move house. And, and, And the literal night before they were moving house, they hosted a huge dinner party. Who does that on the evening that you're gonna move house? Because when you're going to move house, your values definitely are not hospitality, dinner parties, tidy house, everything in its right place in the house. Your values are exactly the opposite. Everything in one box. And I know exactly, it's all in the one box. You know, when we live in light of an eternal reality and our final home, we live differently. We've got this amazing news about the gospel, that we will be with him forever, that the gospel has gone global that he calls us to share and to witness with those around us, that he is our forever home. And yet, isn't it so tempting to live to get as much money or as much space as we possibly can, to 
to just live for, for things of this age, for maximum comfort, to fill our time with hobbies. I was talking to someone this week who um, has just received a, an inheritance and was wanting to try and just ask about um, giving some of it into the, the work of the church. I tell you what, he's living with an eternal perspective. This week in our prayer and fasting, we were uh, praying for Matt and Sam down here, who've um, started up uh, Radiant Cleaners, the, the social enterprise that we started as a church to try and give the long-term unemployed a, a, a job and a, and a hope. And they've both given up careers to do this. That's living in light of a future home. I was chatting to someone in the church this week who's involved in all sorts of different ministry areas and was asked about his strategy moving forward. He said, my strategy is just that as many people might come to know the beauty and joy of Jesus as possible. That's living with an eternal reality. I want to ask, does your life look like your moving house one day? I don't mean literally. This, this isn't a come to the front if there are boxes in your lounge right now. I'm not meaning that. But we've got a beautiful reality that the tabernacle reminds us of, that we're called to live in light of. And lastly, the, the tabernacle reminds us of our present holiday let. We can't call it home because Philippians 3 is saying, oh, it's in gyps in heaven. But it, lives, it reminds us of our present, well, you, you could replace it, holiday let, rental property, sofa surf, camping spot, what, whatever it is where we are, but we, it's not where we ultimately belong. It says that it was to be a place of the presence of God, a place of worship. And, and that the dwelling place of God with man that began in the Garden of Eden and then moved to Mount Sinai, you know, Moses and the burning bush and then all the kind of covenant renewal that Josh looked at last week and then here in the tabernacle that we're looking at today and then it becomes this big physical building called the temple and then it's in Jesus himself and then it's in us, the church. We are the dwelling place of God. And that's why we prioritize worshiping him, because we're a people of the presence. What would we be without the presence of God? I'll tell you what I would be, self-reliant, self-centered, dry, driven. We're a people of the presence. But we're built according to the word of God too. As, as verse 9 said, exactly as I show you. And that's why we prioritize teaching and studying and using and engaging with the Bible. Because we are spirit and word. Word and spirit. And an experience of one should lead us into an experience of the other. Place of the presence of God, built according to the word of God. But we are living for the mission of God. That's why we're here, isn't it? And it's why God came to dwell amongst his people that the earth might be filled with people who know him and who love him. And that's our commission too. You know, they were on the way towards the promised land. And whereas our promised land might ultimately be the new heavens and the new earth, there will be various promised lands along the way. Ministries to the city that are as yet unborn. People waiting to encounter Jesus. Treasures and giftings to be unearthed by our great father who loves to give good gifts to his children. A city to be reached. And if our home is in him, and if he is on the move through his church, 
I want to ask you, wherever you are at, whether you would call yourself a Jesus follower or not, will you give your life to be on the move with him? Let's stand together. We're going to get the band up. And just as the band are preparing, um, if you want to know more about any of this, there's a picture of a book on the screen, The Temple and the Tabernacle by uh, J. Daniel Hayes that um, I found really, really enlightening on this. And uh, you're welcome to, uh, to explore that. But we're going to worship God together in a moment. We're going to join with the song of heaven. We have so much to be thankful for when the tabernacle reminds us back to what happened in Eden but then the beauty of the victory of Jesus in inviting us back in. So also, it reminds us forward of that great day when together with every tribe and tongue and nation, we will worship him. This is what we're about. We are a people of the presence of God, delighting in the word of God, on the mission of God. And his mission is fueled by our worship. We are different as we worship. And so as we come together, we're going to lift a cry to him. We're going to exult and glory in Jesus, in all that he's done for us, in the beautiful wonder that this tabernacle is, that reminds us that he is beautiful, that he is glorious, that he has won all things, that he welcomes us back in, that we can come into his presence with gladness and joy in our hearts. We come into his gates with thanksgiving. That's what we're going to do. We're going to lift our voices. So come on, let's begin to cry out to him, to worship him, and we'll worship together.